Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bwery, and as always, I'm with earthquake early warning evangelist, Dr. Lucy Jones. This podcast is made possible by small donations from individuals just like you. Would you consider sponsoring too? Because with your support, we can continue to provide this weekly insight and support for you. It's simple. Just go to patreon.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And now let's get to it. This is our third in a four-part series tackling the issue of earthquake prediction. Lucy, you've made a case in our first part that prediction of an individual event is impossible. Last time, you talked about how earthquakes make other earthquakes more likely, and therefore, we can use the rate of earthquakes to understand what might be happening next in the very near term. Taking that one step further today, we're going to talk about how the use of technology can, quote, predict what you might feel when a large distant earthquake begins and the system is in place to notify you. We call that earthquake early warning. Lucy, let's start with the basics. Explain how earthquake early warning works, how it lets you know what you're going to feel in a few moments. Earthquake early warning is making use of the fact that earthquakes are not instantaneous. The earthquake moving on the fault creates waves that have to travel through the earth to get to you. And that takes time. You know, think about how thunder arrives after the lightning. That time between them is how long it took the sound wave to travel through the air. So earthquake early warning is created after the earthquake has begun because we record it at stations very near where the earthquake is happening, but before the shaking gets to you. So earthquakes aren't instantaneous, and like waves on an ocean, you see them begin to crash far out and well before they reach you when you're standing at the shore. That's right. And a couple more complications. One is that the earthquake itself, the movement on the fault that's generating these waves, takes time. You know, the, the rupture begins at the epicenter and moves down the fault in a rupture front, and how far it travels determines how big the earthquake is. So the bigger the earthquake, the longer it lasts. And where a magnitude five might be only a second or two where the earth is generating energy, in a magnitude eight, that might be going on for two minutes or more. Now, in addition, there are multiple types of waves created by this motion on the fault. And the two important ones are what we call P and S waves. Quite literally, they stand for primary and secondary. So the P wave travels faster and gets there first, you know, recognized in the very first seismograms. And we now understand there are different types of waves. The S wave is always the biggest one. It's that second wave that is twisting the rock and does the damage. But the P wave, which is compressing the rock, travels faster. And so a big part of earthquake early warning is using that P wave, which comes in more quickly and is often not perceived by humans, sometimes it is, to determine where the earthquake is and how big it is, and from that predict when the S wave will arrive and how big it will be to you. So what do scientists need to determine that the earthquake is actually underway? We need the same thing we have always needed to tell you there was an earthquake at all, and that's a network of seismic stations. So a seismic station is a sensor we put in the ground that generates an electric signal proportional to how much the ground is moving. 
So it doesn't tell us there's a magnitude 4.5 in La Habra. It tells us the ground is moving at the location where we actually have that sensor. When we have a network of them and see it starting to move in a lot of places, we can then calculate back where the waves must have come from and at what time to give us the pattern that we see. So that's the basic of a seismic station. You know, we, we've put in the first of them a hundred years ago. So how is this system that you've been using for a hundred years able to process this information so quickly? You know, I know there's no more drums and needles rolling along that was sort of an image of seismic uh, monitoring. Everything's digital, as you mentioned, but how does it work now versus say three decades ago, like for the Northridge earthquake? What we have now, a seismic station is not just the sensor in the ground. It is also a local computer that takes that information, digitizes it, figures out that the ground is moving, does a lot of this processing, and sends this analyzed information out through an internet connection to tell us what's going on. You know, go back to Northridge, we had started having digitized seismograms. We, were, we weren't using the paper by then, but we were using telephone lines and FM radio systems to send the information from those sensors in the field back to a central computer. And that added a lot of noise and really complicated our ability to look at it. I mean, go back 50 years and the San Fernando earthquake, which is almost 50 years ago now, then it really was being recorded on paper and we had to go and pick up the papers from, from different locations. So we've come a long way. Now we have the local computers. Notice that it's an internet-based system. We couldn't do this before we had the internet. And in the late 80s, we looked at doing earthquake early warning. We could see the benefit and it was going to cost so much because of the communication system we'd have to put in place. And it's really the internet that made it possible. And could you clarify for a moment, the warning you said is generated on this government computer in the ground somewhere. And then there's the warning that we all receive, like on our phones or on our computers. What's the difference there? The computers in the ground are recording what happened at that site. They share their information with a computer operated by the U.S. Geological Survey, the federal government that has liability protection for producing warnings. And it's analyzed at the central computer, and it puts out a warning onto the internet. Here's this earthquake that's underway, and here's when waves are likely to arrive at different sites. For you to actually receive that, you need some piece of software on your own system to tell you that that's coming through. And the way it's working in the United States right now, the US Geological Survey and its university partners run the network, a USGS computer creates the warning and puts it on the internet. And then they say, up to you what you want to do with it. They have chosen not to do the personal app for how you receive this information. So now there's a couple of different ways you can receive it. In the state of California, uh, the state is supporting something called MyShake to deliver the information to your phone. There are other apps from private companies. Google has actually put early warning, a system to use this information as native to the Android operating system. So there's a variety of ways that you receive the information, but you want to make sure that it's coming from this government warning because there's only one seismic network that's recording this information. So when someone gets the actual warning, 
what can they do with the information? You mentioned that it's a few moments, a few seconds you might have in terms of warning that shaking is headed your way. What can someone use that information to do? We have seen people use these in a variety of ways. You know, this, there's been an operational system in Japan now for 13 years. So we actually have some experience with, with how this can be used. First, you can use this information to mentally prepare yourself. Think about it when you feel an earthquake starting and you go, oh, is this, oh, oh, okay, that wasn't that bad, okay? Imagine if just a couple seconds before that, you'd gotten the message that there's going to be a small earthquake. You'd know it wasn't going to be the bad one. And actually, the experience in Japan shows that this is one of the most useful features. It helps people manage the ongoing earthquakes of aftershock sequences. Then there's the second part of it is physically, what can you do? Most of the uses are going to be automatic. You know, we look at moving elevators to the nearest floor and opening the door. Imagine not having anybody trapped in an elevator after a big earthquake. We can uh, stop handling toxic materials. We can bring trains to a stop so they won't be derailed. There's a lot of automatic systems. And as this information is becoming more widely available, I think we're going to see ongoing uh, use of it through these, you know, smart systems and and internet-based systems. There is a third physical thing that is more individual to people. There are certain activities like pouring out a vat of chlorine or a surgeon operating on you and having his scalpel in your chest. Imagine if he had a couple seconds warning to pull it out before the shaking starts. So we think as it becomes more accepted, we're going to see more use of it to stop those sort of really critical activities. So what should someone remember when they use this information? So we know we've got mental preparation, physical preparation. What do they have to keep in mind as as they get the alert? I think the most important thing to remember is that earthquakes aren't instantaneous. You know, we could try to predict exactly the time that the beginning of the S wave is going to get to you. We aren't giving that out much anymore because that's not very useful. In fact, if it's a big earthquake and it's going on for a minute, it's somewhere within that minute that the strong shaking getting to you. And so I think when you get that warning and you start feeling the shaking, remember it's not just one time and the strongest shaking may still be coming. So earthquake early warning is not prediction, but it seems to be as close as we can get to telling people confidently an earthquake is coming. It's happening now. And while it may not provide the long warning like a hurricane warning gives us, it can be trusted as useful to prepare emotionally, as you mentioned, and hopefully put some of those automatic systems in place to protect you. The next and final part of this series on earthquake prediction, we want to look at the part that we actually can predict, which is not the time of the earthquake, but the impact of it. So until next time, I'm John Wary with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a sponsor at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.